told our team this this morning as we were preparing and praying and just asking God what he wanted to do today. I was on a walk yesterday, um, Jericho Beach area. It's an amazing day. Just spending some time with God and overlooking the city. It's just one of those moments, I hope you have them too, where you're just inspired by everything around you and you're just feeling and you're sensing and you're knowing God in those moments. And I was contemplating this verse that that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter three. He says, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. And then he says, I, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in suffering and somehow partner with him in his death. And then through that, find somehow resurrection life. He's leaning into a mystery, but that one phrase to know the power of his resurrection. I was just praying that. I want to know the power of your resurrection, not just a, an idea that we built our faith on. But Paul says, experientially, I want to know in my life through the Spirit, the power of your resurrection. And so I'm walking and inspired and just loving Jesus and being loved by him. And I walk back and a block away from my house was a man lying dead on the ground. No joke. There were paramedics and firefighters and EMTs working on him. A runner that was just passing by. I'm sure he was a paramedic. They were working on him. And I, I'm, I'm struck with what I was just praying about. I want to know the power of your resurrection, not just in spiritual form, but like right here in front of me. I felt like I was confronted with what I was praying. And they're working on him and working on him. It happened before I got there, so I don't know how long it was, but I was there for about 10 or 15 minutes, and they were working on him the whole time, pumping his chest, giving him air. And uh, the fibrillator was attached to him, and so every couple minutes they would shock him. And I'm praying, God, would you just come on, power of your resurrection. I'm doing all the things that we do. Like, do I go lay hands on him? Do I like stay back here? There's EMTs. I'm going to be a fool if I go do like just all of the things. But I'm like, if I don't do this, then God, we're going to have to have some conversations about my faith after this. Right? Have we been there before? And he's, been, he's bloodied all over his face. I think he fell over when this happened, a heart attack or something. And I'm praying and praying and praying and tears in my eyes just because of just that experience being in front of you and um and he gets a heartbeat he comes back which is amazing you know and the you know i'm praying emts you know god works through all of us that way and and that's amazing and you know i pray i don't know but i pray that he's doing well and there's no damage and you know life and life in abundance for him but i'm struck with that this morning to know the power of his resurrection, that I was confronted with this scene in front of me and it provoked me to such depth of prayer and pleading for God to do something. When in fact, the power of resurrection isn't just in bodily form. It's in our spirits. Resurrection power here. And that I wouldn't be confronted. Why would I not be confronted with the very same thing this morning? That we, God, want to know the power of your resurrection here and now. Do you know the power of his resurrection? Are you experiencing the power of his resurrection? Amazing. Well, you know what Paul says? I press on. I want to know more. 
All right, I'll leave it there. Um, are you with me? Can we pray that together before we get into the word this morning? Lord, would you, we want to know you. Not just ideas of you. We want to know you. That is what you have invited us into. And in that, like Paul, to know you and the power of your resurrection. So Spirit, we ask for that now. And even, as Paul says, participation in suffering, that we would know you through that. So we just bless you. We receive everything that you have this morning for us. We receive you as king. We receive you as Lord. That we might know you more and more and more. That the eyes of our hearts would be alive and awakened to the inheritance that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys love them? Jerry, you were so quick to answer that. I love it. Um, we are in week two of a series, which seems really weird for me to say because I'm so not used to preaching series, but I'm kind of liking being in a series, a, f- a flow of thought for a number of weeks. Um, you guys okay with that? Okay. So uh, last week we talked about being with him, just what we get, the inheritance that we have in Jesus to be with him and to Today we're going to be talking about becoming like him. And if you remember the progression of thinking, it was being with him, becoming like him, doing as he did together. So that will frame our four weeks. And this is really just about discipleship. This is the life of a disciple of Jesus, being with him, becoming like him, doing as he did together as his church, as his body. And so we're going to actually touch back into... Uh, the passage that we read last week. I'm just going to frame our talk today uh, with Mary and Martha. Um, So we're going to read that one more time, and then we're going to see what else we can pull out of it today. And I'm going to be doing a lot of teaching today. There's going to be a lot of scripture that comes up. And a temptation as a pastor or a leader is to, like, jazz up something so that people can get it. But I am convicted this morning. I'm convicted that the word of God is going to be the word of God. Not that I have any other intention any other day, (laughs) but especially today, that if the Spirit doesn't translate these things, then we're just meandering through ideas of God. But I want to know the power of his resurrection, the living Christ. Are we in this together? All right. Luke chapter 10, 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha, remember Martha, opened her home to him. Martha gets a bad rap, but she's the one who opened her home to him. I love that. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. She was being with him. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Take my side. 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. There's that phrase. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Can we just say together, only one, only one. 
Only one thing is needed. So, Lord, we just invite you. We welcome you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, that we would find Jesus in his word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage of scripture, as we've been sitting in for two weeks now, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teachings. She wasn't just like, you know, like crocheting or knitting or something. She was listening to his teachings and learning his nature. There's a point going on here. She was soaking in who he was, the wisdom that he had to share, his person. She was actually at his feet in the position of a disciple. We hear about the 12 disciples, but whether or not she's called a disciple in the scriptures, she was in the position of a disciple. I'm going to sit at the rabbi's feet, hear what he has to say, glean from him, and know his nature. She was engaging in this practice of apprenticeship that was common for first century Hebrews. You would follow a rabbi or a teacher. You would learn and practice his teachings, and in that, become like the rabbi. That's why you apprentice. You be with so you can become like. And the nature of the rabbi, the teacher, would then be reproduced in his apprentices. This is the, the whole process. This is why we're called to be disciples and then go out and make disciples. So that the nature of Jesus become our nature. And then we go give that nature and on and on and on. It was his way. And all of this, as I said already, so that in being with Jesus, as we lean into last week, we would become like Jesus. It isn't just to get the feels and to get the tears and to get misty and feel good. That is amazing, but there's a point to become like him. And we here we have Mary engaging in discipleship to Jesus being with him to become like him. And, and we applaud this. Like, we love this. We, we, we're like, we all want to be like Mary. We want to sit at Jesus' feet. And then we roll our eyes at Martha. Right, Martha? Come on, how could you be so dense? Don't you know what's happening in front of you right now? Don't we do that? Like, come on, Martha. But there was so much more going on here than just sibling rivalry. And it wasn't just about women's rights, although that's there too. <laughs> you got what you needed today. <laughs> Martha, the one in the kitchen, was dealing with and confronting cultural norms. Mary was a woman. The place at Jesus' feet, a disciple of Jesus, wasn't meant for women. That Martha was culturally right, that Mary should have been in the kitchen. That's what Martha was saying. Jesus, like, tell her to get in her place. She doesn't belong there. There's a certain person that belongs there. There's a certain gender that belongs there. And she's not it. And here I am, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, falling in cultural line. Tell her to get with the program. She wasn't supposed to be sitting with Jesus. 
Martha was essentially saying to Jesus, she doesn't belong there. She belongs here with me. She doesn't know her place. Jesus, remind her of her place in this thing. Have you thought that before, what Martha is saying here? For us, like we live in the 21st century, no big deal. Woman being a disciple of Jesus, of course. And that's, that's the goodness of God throughout the centuries to liberate us into that thinking. That's normal for us. Yet in this context, it was not. That's why these stories are here, by the way. Martha, saying to Mary, she doesn't have the right to be with you. She doesn't have the right to become like you. Her rights are over here. And similarly, we have another story in the gospel about a woman at Jesus' feet. And we have precedent to think that it was the same woman. And it's this story that we see multiple versions of in the Gospels about the woman with the alabaster jar, a year's worth of wages in this perfume jar. It says that she took this jar, broke it, and poured it out on Jesus. In other versions of this story, this woman didn't have any water, so she wept and cleaned Jesus' feet with her hair. Mary. And then the men. The Pharisees, the disciples, they were confused by this. And they didn't indict her because she was a woman. They indicted her because she was sinful. Why are you letting this sinful person wash your feet, Jesus? Don't you know where she belongs? A rabbi like you having a woman wash your feet that has lived a pretty promiscuous life is not a good look. Come on, Jesus, just... We do things a certain way. Can you do it too? So she takes the perfume. She takes her tears. She washes Jesus' feet. She anoints him for burial. She knew what was coming. The disciples were like, why all this waste? Kind of dense in their thinking. And it says that Jesus received her offering. He didn't shoo her away. He wasn't embarrassed by it. He affirmed her. He wasn't ignorant about who she was. He knew very well who she was and received her worship, received her offering, received her anointing. And we get a hint here. Jesus says this. He says, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. She understood her place at Jesus' feet because she understood whose feet she was at, the one who forgave her. It says, the one who, Jesus says, in fact, this is more the quote. He says, those who have been forgiven little love little. What is Jesus saying? He forgives in different portions? No. The one who receives forgiveness because she knows what a bad life she's lived. She's confronted by it, but she's not hiding it. She equally knows how amazing Jesus is and what he came to do and what he came to accomplish. So she took her messed up life and what Jesus had to offer. And she says, oh, yeah, I belong because he came to forgive. 
I don't have to deal with this stuff over here. I'm just going straight to the one who wants to forgive it, and I'm receiving all of it. So the outcome of this was her loving Jesus much. Jesus was saying to them, she is here at my feet because she understands who I am and who she is in me. Forgiven. Same woman, most likely. Could this be the one thing that Jesus is talking about? It wasn't just about the one thing of sitting at his feet. It was the one thing of knowing why she could sit at his feet. Could this be the one thing that matters indeed? I'm excited about that. Are you guys excited about that? Could this be the one thing? Because Jesus does. You're concerned about many things. And there's a few things actually that matter. But wait a minute. No, no, no. Indeed, there's only one thing that matters. We read through that tension last week. It's just about sitting at his feet. How do we do anything? How do we be at his hands and his feet? Well, maybe Jesus is saying, hey, the reason why you can sit at my feet is because you understand why you can sit at my feet. And that is the one thing that matters. Could everything in our walk with Jesus boil down to one thing? I would argue yes, because that's the next 30 minutes here today. I hope so. It wasn't just that she sat at his feet, but it was why she knows she has a right to sit at his feet. And why does sitting at his feet matter? It's not like, you know, like charismatics, like people who use the word soaking, love this, right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to soak. I'm going to sit at his feet and soak him up, which is true. Like that happens. Like she soaked up his presence and his teachings. Oh, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Our understanding of who we are in him can be the difference between being driven from him and being driven to him. Thinking that I got to do all this work over here to make him happy or sitting at his feet. It all boils down to one thing. Who we are, all our brokenness, all our sin, all our life being jacked up, and what it matters in him. Woo! This is the gospel. This is the one thing. End of story. Woo. One simply received her right to sit at Jesus' feet. The other tried to earn the right to even be in the house. This is my role to play in what Jesus wants to do. I'll stand over here and work really, really, really hard. And she thought Jesus thought that way. Could it be? Could it be? For you and I, that we, like, we get the idea of forgiveness, but we actually live our lives out differently. We have to earn our keep, justify why we're in the room. One thing matters. Could it be that every issue in life hinges on this one thing? This one thing. And I'm going to rephrase that. I'm not going to ask the question. I'm going to tell you with authority because Jesus says it. Every issue in life hinges on this one thing, and this one thing is the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and why that matters to you and to me. Everything hinges on one thing. 
That's why he says, actually, only one thing matters. There's, a few, there's things that matter, but ultimately, those things don't matter unless this matters. Why she could sit at my feet. Who we are in him. I'm pumped. Becoming like him. Romans 8, 28 to 30. <laughs> Someone's pumped about the word of God. Oh, you guys love this one. Listen, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. Now, did you know that there's a verse that comes after? Y'all got that one memorized, but what about the one that comes after? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is his purpose? His purpose is that you and I, those who he has called, would become like him. It's not just a cute idea. This was his plan all along. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jenny, there's your answer. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is actually saying here in Romans 8, 28, we like the idea that all things work out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. But the point is, what's the purpose? Like it works towards an end. We like to isolate that verse, but there's something that God's after here. What he's saying is all things work for the good of you becoming like him. God will use every and any situation in your life to make you more like him. Everyone. That's the confidence we have in this verse. Not, not, not you walking deliberately in sin and making your own decisions counter to his will. God can redeem all that stuff. But it's only in light of you saying, God, I surrender and want to become like you. Those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. His purpose is that we would become like him. Conform to the image of the son. And so I want to break down 829 and beyond. I want you to take some notes this morning because we need to understand why we can sit at his feet. And we need to understand the purpose of sitting at his feet. You guys in? You guys with me? All right, I just pray as we just unpack theology and understand you through your word as you've given it to us, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate these words and you would speak to the depths of our hearts even if it offends our minds. In Jesus' name. So the, the first thing that you have to know today is that you are predestined. Predestined. Before you even have a thought of destiny, you are destined. Before you even born, you were destined to be conformed to the image of the Son. I don't know 
what you think your destiny is, but the word of God says this is your destiny. This is the reason why you walk this planet, that you exist, to become like Jesus. If you've read Genesis before, you would know the narrative that when God made humanity, when he made Adam and Eve, he said, let us make man in our image. But there's that language. Be conformed to the image of this son. Let us make man in our image. And so from the beginning of time and in creation, God's plan was to make a family, humanity, in his image. So we'd be imagers. We would have the function of God on this planet. We would, we would live out his purposes for us be fruitful and multiply, have dominion. There was no sickness, no disease, no pain, no death. Perfect union with God. This is, this is the context in which he said, let's make them in our image. And then we know the story, right? Sin happened. Adam disobeyed God. Ate the apple, ate, well, whatever fruit it was. Ate the fruit. Someone's going to check out and say I'm a false prophet because I said apple. <laughs> ate the fruit. And sin entered the equation. And what happened in that moment was that the image of God was smeared. It was corrupted. God's original intent and design got hijacked by sin. This is the world that you and I were born into. Although our destiny is to be conformed to the image of God, something got in the way to jack that up, and that is sin. Our nature was corrupted and distorted. His purpose was that humanity would bear the image of God. But guess what? It's still his purpose that we would bear his image. But what does that even mean to bear his image? Well, enter Jesus. That Jesus was the image of the invisible God. So ultimately to bear his image, we now have the archetype in Jesus. So your destiny is to be like him. That's it. The Son, the scriptures say, is the image of the invisible God. And Romans tells us it's our destiny. We are predestined to be conformed to that image. Jesus is the perfect image of the perfect Father, and our destiny is to be conformed to that perfect image. He is restoring his original design and redeeming humanity. That's what he's doing. So that's why Jesus says, when you receive me by faith, you get grace. And what happens? You're born again. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. That you're not no longer living in the inheritance of Adam, the one who brought sin into this world. You're living in the inheritance of Jesus the firstborn among many who are born. 
We good? What is your destiny? To become like him. Therefore, if anyone, hear me, please, hear the spirit. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's for you. The old is gone, the new is here. So even in this story of Mary and Martha, we have to know that your destiny is more about who are you becoming than what you are doing. So many of us categorize, I asked you what your destiny was and you didn't have this talk right here. Many of us would default to being a business owner or a stay-at-home mom or a this, that, or another. And that's, that's amazing, but that's a lot of your identity formed by doing. Your destiny is to become like him. And out of that comes your doing. In other words, your destiny is to sit at his feet, not try to justify your existence in the house by working in the kitchen. You don't do to become. You become in order to do. I think God's reframing this for a lot of people this morning. You know, I just remember vividly my own story, like grinding through college, trying to like make something of my life beyond my own capacity, yet I wasn't engaging with Jesus to do it. I almost felt like I had to justify the gifts that he gave me. I could could think a little bit through math or science or whatever. I'm like, oh, let's become a doctor and make something useful of my life. It was was bad. I mean, like, at my limited understanding of who he was, I was doing my best to please him, but I was being more Martha than I was Mary, and it drove me to the end of myself. But even when I came to the end of myself, I remember it was on a, I was kneeled over a couch at midnight studying for organic chemistry. You guys know. You guys know my story. I'm like, I got, I don't have it. But I brought to him this. I said, okay, I'm not going to be that, but I'll be this, this, and this. I'll be, a, I'll be a, a, a pastor was included. I'll be a teacher or a pastor or a social worker. Because, like, people were, like, I was starting to like people at this time in my life. So I'm like, let's just do that. But even in me offering that to God, I think God was like, thank you, son. But that'll come after. What I'm interested is in you becoming who you're born to be. And in that, you know, we have this passage of Scripture in John where John the Baptist says this. He's, When Jesus comes on the scene, he has this phrase that we like to throw around in Christianity. Less of me and more of him. Less of me, more of him. No, no, I don't think so. Let me explain this to you. The more you look like him, the more you look like you. The context in which John said that was like almost occupational. He had a job to do, and his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so when the Messiah came, he was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I live for this moment. He's here now, so it's no longer about my voice. It's about his voice. In fact, John's disciples said, I, I'm going to follow him. And if John, whew, this, we need to learn from this guy's ego. It was less of me, more of him. Yeah, yeah, I've prepared you guys for him, so go be with him. It wasn't, it wasn't this, like, false humility thing. No, no, no. You looking like him is you looking more like yourself. 
We have this thing, right, where we take Jesus' words to be a disciple is to deny yourself daily, to take up your cross and follow him. And like we were like, well, do you want me to deny everything about who I am? What about the good things? What about, what about like the, I love my wife. Do you want me to deny that? Well, clearly that's not what Jesus is saying. Because if there's redeemed things in my life, they came from him anyway. So in surrendering of all, Jesus isn't stripping you of who he's made you to be. So even if you do surrender all, Jesus can be like, okay, well, in your surrender, I like this about you, this about you, this about you, this about you. So now that you're surrendered, walk in those things. But it, it, it takes us losing control and saying, my version of my life is not what I need. Because my destiny is not what I can perceive. My destiny is in what he can perceive. So I'm going to default to him for who he's called me to be. The more you look like him, the more you look like yourself. Give up. Surrender. He's not robbing you. He's inviting you into destiny. Freedom, joy, peace. Oh, my gosh. I'm having fun preaching today. All right. So. First one, predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. So verse 30, it says this, and those who he predestined, he also called. He's explaining to us this purpose. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So number two is this. Those who he predestined, he called to himself. What we talked about last week, this is your inheritance. To be conformed to his image means you got to come to him. Sin was the thing that separated us from God. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But as a result of that, we can now be with him. He called us into relationship. When he designed humanity, it wasn't just this science experiment where he like, wanted to see how it worked. No, he designed a family to be in relationship with. And in Jesus, he's reintroducing us to that design. He called us to be with him. It's through relationship with Jesus that that image is restored. Second Corinthians 3, 18, it says, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Exactly what Mary did. Sat at his feet and contemplated his glory. Listened to him. Mulled over his words in scripture. Spent time in his presence communed with each other, we're contemplating the glory of Jesus with unveiled faces, meaning there's no separation anymore. We can contemplate his glory without dying. With unveiled faces, so I'm jumping around here. I'm, I'm just preaching. Who with unveiled, praise, face, <laughs> unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit, we're predestined to be conformed to his image. And because we're predestined, the father invites us into relationship with his son by the spirit. We're called to be with him. Check. Predestined and we're called. Number three, whew. you're justified. Those who he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. This is it. This is it. We're taking this back from Justin Timberlake. 
You're justified. I'm just so confident what he's going to do today. I can just joke around in between. What does justified mean? It means made righteous. This is it. You don't have a right to be at his feet, Mary. Your right is to try to please him through how hard you work. No, 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 no. No, no, no. She's forgiven. She's made righteous. She is justified, and no one can take that from her. Those who he predestined, he called, and those who he called, he justified. This is the one thing. Mary was justified to sit at his feet, and guess what? She knew it. And this is what the Spirit of God needs you to know today, that in him you are justified. And no one can take it from you. Listen to Ephesians 2. Let the word of God wash over you in this moment. As for you, you were dead. I'm not even sorry if that offends you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, this is all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Why is wrath so hard to handle? This is New Testament. This is New Covenant. This is Paul, the guy who knew his resurrection power. We were by nature deserving of wrath because following the desires of our hearts, this corrupt nature, living in disobedience. We deserved wrath. We didn't deserve to sit at his feet. Why do we struggle? Why do we have such a hard time handling wrath? We don't like to touch this. I'm not into religion. I'm into relationship. Well, do you know why you can have a relationship with Jesus? Do you? Do you really know your right to sit at his feet? I really hope so. Because when a lie comes and says you don't belong there, you know why you can. Why don't we like, we don't like thinking about God like this. And that's like kind of cool, right? Because we're in Jesus. So like the wrath of God was appeased in him. And so we, we stand on the other side and be like, I don't need to, I just ignore that. I don't need to touch that. Oh, my friend, yes, we're in Jesus and we're in grace, but because we're in Jesus, we need to understand the wrath of God even more. We need to. Because his wrath was poured out on our sin in Jesus. The thing that kept me from him. God said, I hate that stuff. 
I hate sin and the consequences of it, so I need a way. And that way was Jesus. God doesn't hate you. God didn't hate Jesus. He hated the thing that separated you from him. His wrath was poured out on that thing that says Mary doesn't have a right. Woo! If your destiny was to be conformed to his image, yet we couldn't do that because of sin, God dealt with it. Scriptures say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He hates the thing that which corrupts the image of God in you and keeps you from that one thing. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him, for our sake, who knew no sin, to become sin so that in him we might be justified even though we lived a life of sin. Wow. And in that, we became justified and righteous, not based on any merit of our own. Scriptures say that Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews. They were offended by this because they were, they were destined, weren't they? God gave them a destiny. He also called them. He gave them all of these ways so that they could actually commune with him. But they thought their ticket into union with God was by works. And then Jesus says, actually, in me, my sacrifice, my blood being shed, Everyone who believes in me by faith and faith alone, because of my grace, is justified, and the Jews couldn't handle it. And you know what? If we do some introspection, I think we have a hard time handling that too. No, 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 there must, you must be mad at me about that. You must be angry that I made that decision again and again and again. And what do we do with that logic? We say, God, I can't, like everybody knows I know this isn't even an interpersonal problem. It's an inner world problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd rather just be over here and like greet people at the door. I mean, shoot, that sounds bad for everybody that greets at the door. That's an amazing. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I'd rather like serve you, but in a way that I really don't have to like deal with what's going on here. That's why we need to know the wrath of God. He was so passionate about making you justified that he poured out his wrath on his son so that you don't have to worry about that anymore. And you can be like Mary and go sit at Jesus' feet. All the voices say, get out of here. No, 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 I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. How many people need this in their minds? You're forgiven. Done. He was a stumbling block to the Jews. Don't let him be a stumbling block to you. He offends our minds the way we've been trained. Women shouldn't be there. Ooh, that's offensive, isn't it? I've lived a nasty life. I did something silly last night. I shouldn't go to church today. 
and let this like wear off and then I'll talk to Jesus again. No. It's the point of the cross. It's the entire point. You're good. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's now. It's in him. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He wants to show his grace off through your life. He can't do that if you're playing the self-righteous game. He does that through you bowing and saying, I've been forgiven. Okay, I'm with you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Paul crushes it. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Martha can't say nothing. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works are involved in your destiny, by the way. God has purpose for you. Being made in the image of God is is, is inherent with purpose. But first we have to understand the place from which we exercise our purpose. Like who you are is not wrapped up in what you do. Who you are is wrapped up in who he is. And what he's done for you. And what he's done for me. The eternal consequences of sin are dealt with on the cross. They're done. They're dealt with. Here's the reality. We still sin, don't we? But we forget that the eternal consequences of it are already dealt with on the cross. So in Jesus... Holy Spirit, cover all my words, please. In Jesus, the issue of sin isn't the issue anymore. Like when you're in him, the issue's not sin anymore. It's the before and the after of sin. Why did you do it? Why did you engage in that behavior that you know already does not honor the Lord? That's an issue. Why? Because those who the Son has set free is freed indeed. And so engaging in that issue, along with knowing that I'm justified, is saying, is there more freedom for me in him? Oh, I did that thing that I tried not to do, and I did it again. That's not an allowance for you to go sulk in pity. That's for you to say, wow, that's not the life that Jesus has walked me into. So why do I keep doing it? Maybe it's because I don't have the fullness of the revelation of freedom that he bought for me on the cross. Because I'm no longer a slave. 
I don't have to follow my desires anymore. I've been set free. The before, why did it happen? I need, I need to know the revelation more. It's an invitation. And what about the after? Are you found in forgiveness? If you're found in pity and shame, again, it goes back to, do you know who you are in him? We're still dealing with this body of flesh. And it's going to jack some things up. He knows that. While we were still sinners, he died. It's the before and after. Like if you want to place the introspect, look at the before and after. But do it with him. Understand that I'm justified, so now I have the freedom to say, no, I don't want that anymore. Because it's shame and condemnation and separation from God that drives us back to those places. So just take what he offers you. Are you weary? Are you worn out? He says, come to me. He doesn't say, figure it out, get your act together, and then we'll talk. Just come to me. Come to me. Don't let anything separate you from the love of God. Because he's not doing it. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not no condemnation for those who are perfect. No condemnation for those who are sinful. Who make mistakes in him. You have a right to sit at his feet. You guys good? Are you found in his forgiveness? Do you know him in your sin? This might be one of the most important things I say today. Do you know him in the middle of your sin? Because he's inviting you to know him in your sin. Some of us, we don't know him there. We don't know how to handle who we are in him when we've just made a mistake. He's inviting you to know him in it. What does Romans 8.28 say? Somebody help me. How many things? Even your mistakes and your failures and your sin? He works all things according to your good, which means what? <laughs> Jeremy's like, all things. Break this down, okay? No, no, I want, I want this to come out. It's not in my notes. I want this to come out. It's there. If your destiny is to be conformed to his image, if being conformed to his image means that you have to commune with him. And if he's working all things to that end, which means he wants to be present with you in your sin. All things, not your good things. So when you make a mistake, find him there. You're justified, you're made righteous. Don't hide from him. All things. The last one is this. And you will be glorified. Isn't that word reserved for Jesus? Those who predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who justified, he also glorified. We share in Jesus' glory. We become like him through all things. 
Sin's not going to stop it. He dealt with it already. We share in Jesus' glory by knowing him through all things. By knowing him through all things. Not knowing about him like the celebrity bloggers know about celebrities. They can tell you everything about their lives, the ins and outs, probably more than they know about themselves. God's not calling us to know him in that way, like be an expert on who he is. He's calling to know him intimately. We share in his glory by beholding him, by staring at him, by perceiving him. In the highs and in the lows. And just like the sinful woman, we need to know him in our sin. You guys are getting tired on me. That was the most important thing I said today. <laughs> Nothing can separate you from him. Is that true about your life? It's, tr it's true in like an eternal truth way. But if you survey your last week, my, I've surveyed, dude, there's so much that kept me from him. He didn't keep himself from me. I kept myself from him because I wasn't thinking well about being justified before him. Oh, man, my son Levi, he'll make a mistake in a corner that I'll never, I'll never see. And he'll walk right up to me. He's like, sorry, Dad. Sorry, I just ruined everything. And I wouldn't have known. But it just shows, like, he is who he is. He knows who he is in the family. And I'm going to love him anyway. So he's like, I screwed up today. Sorry. That doesn't mean that we don't live in repentance. We do. But the only way we can truly find repentance is to understand who he is. And I don't want to think that way anymore because I understand the fullness of what you've done for me. Instead of the sin, your sin being the thing that keeps you working to earn your right in him, it's the very thing that gives you the right to sit at his feet. Yeah, I'm sinful. And me acknowledging that I can receive what you did for my sin. That's why Paul says we have to be confronted by understanding who we were before him. And don't forget it, he says. Don't forget that Gentiles, you were separate from God, but because of his blood, you can now draw near. It's his blood that makes it happen, not your good works. You become what you behold. You're beholding his glory. We're transformed from one degree to the next. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So then how can we be glorified if we've sinned and fallen short of that glory? Forgiveness. Come to me. We need to know him in our sin. You guys doing okay? Yeah. 
How many of you find freedom today in the Word of God? To be with Him and to become like Him. The only way you can become like Him is because He accomplished it all. Romans 8, those who are called according to His purpose, like you got to participate in this. You got to participate by understanding who you are in Him. You got to like, Reject the voice of Martha. And you gotta find yourself, you gotta participate, you gotta behold his glory. If there's anything that's keeping you from his glory, then you're not participating. And it's like doesn't compute. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and so simply by way of response today, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna find ourselves in his blood. Paul says we do this to remember his death, to proclaim his death. Because in his death, in his sacrifice, in his blood being shed, and our faith in him, we are made righteous by his grace. And if you didn't get, if you didn't get one, um, can you just lift your hand? Someone will come by and grab you one. Before we do this today, I want to ask a very simple question. If you have not yet received Jesus as Lord, if you have not yet received his blood, that is the forgiveness of sin, to be liberated, to be set free from the consequences of sin, which is death, to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. If you've not yet surrendered into that life, his work on the cross, this is your moment. This is your moment. It's what we're gathering around right here, his blood and his body poured out for us, broken for us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I want to invite you who may have not engaged in this for a long time and you know as a result you've been robbed of so much life that he has for you if you want to give your life to Jesus again today you're invited into this so if you today want to receive the forgiveness of your sin by the blood of Jesus give your life to him be conformed to the image of God. This is your moment. I just want you to lift your hand in the air right now. I see you. I see you. His hands. I see you. You want to step into this again. Receive his forgiveness. No shame, no condemnation. I see you. 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 God sees you. It's your moment. He's so pumped.
Let's pray together, everybody in this room. Jesus, I give you my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Today I'm justified. I'm made right. I receive your righteousness, not by works of my own, but the free gift of grace. I believe that you died for my sin, that you were buried, and on the third day, you rose from the dead. Now you're seated on high, and you've taken me with you to seat in heavenly places. Jesus, you have my life. My destiny is to be conformed to your image. Take my life. It's yours. Thank you for freedom and forgiveness. I will never let sin keep me from your feet. I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen.